Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we're continuing our series in the Psalms of Ascent, and here James Jordan is going to discuss Psalm 126. We want to invite you to our upcoming Theopolitan Ministry Conference on July 18th and 19th here in Birmingham, Alabama. The title of the conference this year is Vision of Victory, and speakers will include Peter Lightheart, Alistair Roberts, Jeff Myers, Trevor Lawrence, and others. This is a continuation of the older BH conferences, and for more information about this conference, you can find a link in the show notes. We want to thank you very much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan discussing Psalm 126. Psalm 126, a song of ascent. I'm going to give you a preferred translation. Your Bible may say something different in this first line. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Stanza 2. Restore our fortunes. O Lord, as the streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This again is a psalm of ascent, sung doubtless from best we can determine, as the people would be coming toward Jerusalem to one of the triennial feasts. And here we have a song which celebrates the fact that the Lord has given them an abundant harvest after what did not look like it was going to be a very good year. Now that's not immediately apparent because the word that I've translated fortune in verses 1 and 4 for a long time was changed by scholars to mean captivity. So your version may say, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, I believe that's the way we sang it tonight. In verse 4, it may say, restore our captivity, O Lord, or something like that. However, the word that's used here actually just means our circumstances or our fortunes, and more recent Bible commentators are more inclined to take the text as it is in Hebrew without making adjustments. And so I'm going to take it in this more general sense. There is nothing here specifically about a restoration from captivity in a strange land, but more generally, a restoration from a bad situation. Maybe there had been a drought. Maybe a swarm of locusts had come through. Maybe an invading army had come through. For some reason, these people had come into a bad time. And it says that when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. This same word is used, and you don't need to follow me as I do this, but it's used three other places that we could look at in the Bible. In Job 42 and verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Perhaps to understand this psalm, we should think about Job and all the horrible things that happened to him. And then the Lord restored his fortunes. Same word is used here. Psalm 14, verse 7, 
gives us an idea of restoration of fortune. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. Same idea is here. When the Lord restored our fortunes, then in verse 3, we are glad. Here again, there is a mistranslation, and the proper translation is in the margin. And then finally, in Psalm 85, we see something about the restoration of fortunes. Again, your version will probably say restore captivity, but that's really not the best translation. Psalm 85, O Lord, thou didst show favor to thy land, thou didst restore the fortunes of Jacob. Thou didst forgive the iniquity of thy people, thou didst cover all their sin, thou didst withdraw all thy fury, thou didst turn away thy burning anger. Again, there's nothing really to make us think about captivity here, but about some bad fortune, using fortune in that general sense, some unhappy providence that had come across the people, bad circumstances. And now we find that after these bad circumstances, the Lord restores them as he did Job. And it's like they're in a dream. They can hardly believe that such a good thing has happened. Remember the sermon on being a pervert. Suppose that we are all perverts and addicted to poverty. And then suddenly somebody gives us $100,000. Well, you might be kind of in a dream state, you know, as you waltz through town buying everything you see. You start to feel really good. And that's the picture here. In fact, the picture becomes very dramatic at the end of the psalm, as we'll see. Here the fortunes have been restored sometime in the past, and it was like being in a dream. It was even hard to believe that such a wonderful thing had happened. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. That's the way you feel when really good things happen to you. And this was noticed among the nations of the world. It's interesting that the evangelistic thrust is set in here, that the blessings that God pours out on his people are marked and noted by the strangers in the world. And the nations say, Yahweh has done great things for them. It's not Baal who's done great things for them. It's not Ashtaroth that's done great things for them. It's Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, who has done great things for them. Jehovah, his name is used. The Lord, the God of Israel, has done great things for them. This is rumored among the nations. Then in verse 3, the comment is made, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. We're coming to the feast, and we remember how the Lord has turned our fortunes. Perhaps the greatest reversal of fortune that they would look back to would be the exodus from Egypt, which was sort of an exodus from captivity. And at that time, their mouth was filled with laughter and tongue with joyful shouting. We read the song in Exodus 15 that they sang. And it was rumored among the nations that God had done great things for them. And, of course, the feasts that Israel celebrated, particularly Passover, when these songs were sung, would be a time of remembering that because Passover celebrated the exodus from Egypt. But now we come to a petition in verse 4 in the second stanza. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, because there come other times when things begin to go bad again. History has its ups and downs. The Lord, for his own purpose, puts us through tribulation. And so we think back to the fact that in the past God has restored our fortunes, and now we ask him again, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. There is apparently no problem whatever with asking for material prosperity in the Bible. 
No problem at all. And there are two analogies used for the restoration of fortune. First of all, as the, actually it says, as the streams in the south. Now that's not good English grammar. You use as when you have a verb. You use like when you don't have a verb, right? Like the streams in the south. What's that talking about? Well, you have a desert area which is known as the Negev, and which is called the Negev even on the evening news today. And it's very dry. And every now and then, and it's only every now and then, you get the big rainstorm. And when you do, suddenly you have flash floods and streams suddenly appear in the desert. And for a few hours or days, you'll have flowers all over in the desert. The desert blossoms, explodes into bloom. Seeds that have been dormant there for a year or two suddenly crop up. And you have a sudden stream in the desert. Now, the thing to notice about this is that the blessing is sudden that's being asked for, like streams in the desert. And second, it's entirely from heaven. It's God's act alone. Our activity has nothing to do with it. None of our labor goes into a blessing like this. Just suddenly rain from above and streams in the desert. That is the first simile that is used for the restoration of fortunes, and it points to the suddenness of the restoration and to this God's act alone. And yet the Bible never stops there as if we're to be quietistic and completely passive and have nothing to do with blessing. No, because the second analogy shows us the slow, arduous work of man and how God will use that to bring about blessing. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The picture here is one of extreme poverty. The man who is sowing with tears is a man who has no grain except what's in his bag. And he goes out and he deposits the seed to and fro in the rows of his field. And he's taking a tremendous gamble because this is all he has except for maybe a little bit left to tide him through. But if the crop doesn't come in, he's finished. He's got nothing laid aside. This is all he has. All of his entire fortune is in this bag of seed. If the rain doesn't come, if there are no streams in the south, in the desert, then there will be no harvest. And if there's no harvest, he's going to die and his family's going to die. And in this extremity of pressure, the man weeps as he sows the seed because he's terrified of the possibility that there will be no crop. That's the picture here. Those who sow in tears. The man who has lots and lots of grain stored up, he sows and there's no tears involved. There's no threat. He doesn't stand right at the edge of death. But this is the man who does. This is the man who sows in tears. And yet it says that this man who is in dire poverty and right on the edge of death, his fortunes will be turned and restored. See, this is the dramatic example of the restoration of fortune. And he will come back over that same field and bring his sheaves with him as he harvests the crop and gathers it all in. And then, of course, these are taken to the feast. They're taken to Passover. And the day after the Sabbath and Passover week, they're waved as the first fruits of the first fruits, the first sheaf. And then, 49 days later, the first fruits are brought and baked into a loaf, and that's waved up to the Lord and back at the Feast of Pentecost. 
And then at the third great feast, all of this will be tithed. And so again, you see how the harvest here will tie in with the idea of coming the psalm of ascent to the feast. Now this picture of sowing in tears and reaping in joy is a picture of death and resurrection in the Bible. That's the broader theological context of what's being spoken of here. In Psalm 30, verse 5, we read, this is chapter 5, verse 5b actually, Weeping may last for the night, but the shout of joy comes in the morning. And then if we take that in context, it becomes clearer in Psalm 30. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, resurrection language, and hast not let mine enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to thee for help, and thou didst heal me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from Sheol. Again, death and resurrection. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. All right? The idea of death and resurrection is implied here in the passage through death and into resurrection. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, we read of this body that it is sown a natural body and resurrected a spiritual body. And so the idea of the seed going into the ground and dying, Jesus uses it, except the seed fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, then it is resurrected and brings much fruit. And so... All of this lies as a theological underpinning to what's being said here. These people are people who have experienced a death and a resurrection. And it's analogous to the death and resurrection of the seed they put into the ground. Now this, of course, points us toward the application of a psalm like this to Jesus Christ. After all, what is the stream that's poured out into the desert, ultimately, if it's not the Holy Spirit poured out into the desert of this world? Adam was cast out of that pleasant paradise into a howling wilderness. And it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to be sent to bring water, which is always a sign of God's blessing in the Spirit, into that desert situation. And who is the one who sowed in tears if it wasn't Jesus Christ? And who is the one who came shouting with joy, bringing his sheaves, his harvest with him, if it's not Jesus Christ? We being the harvest, we being the ones who are presented to God the Father at the great feast which will come at the end of history when the Son delivers up the kingdom to the Father. All of this is implied. These are extended meanings. And this is the kind of thing that is in the minds of these people as they walk toward Jerusalem singing as they go up to the feast. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who were in a dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they remarked among the nations, The Lord Yahweh has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, as the streams in the desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. When Yahweh brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those restored to health. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with a joyful song. 
Then they said among the nations, Great things Yahweh has done for them. Great things Yahweh has done for us. We were merry. Turn Yahweh our captivity like the streams in the south. Though sowing in tears with a joyful song will reap. Going forth he goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. Returning he returns with a joyful song, bearing his sheaves. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, age after age. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.